Hello, my name is Lika Gay and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. Water is the one resource we cannot live without. It is tied to everything we care about, health, the environment or agricultural production to cite a few. Yet in some parts of the world, water remains inaccessible to many people. It can be a limited resource and there may even be conflicts over access to water. Earlier, I met Peter Gleick, president of the Pacific Institute, a think tank which crafts solutions to environmental problems such as water shortages. He explained that the way we consume this crucial resource needs to change radically. We face many challenges in the 20th century with water supply and availability and water quality. And as we've entered the 21st century, many of those challenges remain unsolved, including basic human needs for water, remain unaddressed satisfactorily at the global level. But we also face many new challenges with growing populations, the growing demand for food, uh, the new concerns about climate change and how climate change will affect water resources. You've just brushed off on some of these challenges, but for you, what are the top three? Well, perhaps the most serious problem facing the world is our failure to meet basic human needs for safe water, affordable water, and adequate sanitation. Uh, We know how to solve the water and sanitation problem, but there are still billions of people without access to safe and affordable water. And that's probably the worst challenge. Uh, But we also face challenges with growing conflicts over water resources and the growing threat of climate change, which will affect water availability and water quality around the world. You just talk about conflict. There has indeed been a very long history of overwater resources. Can you give some example of these conflicts? Well, there are many examples, unfortunately, throughout history of conflicts over water resources, over access to water, Uh, the use of weapons to attack water systems during wars that start for other reasons. Uh, And increasingly, uh, I'm concerned about conflicts over access to availability, not between nations, but within a nation, among ethnic groups, or um, between farmers and the cities, or between pastoralists and farmers. Uh, we, We see a growing risk of violence over scarce water resources and who has control over them and who has access to them. Many of those examples come from uh, the Middle East and Northern Africa, where water is in short supply and where populations are growing. But we also see conflicts over water uh, between states in India, for example, between Karnataka and Tamil Nadu, between upstream and downstream uh, participants in in a watershed. Uh, We see growing risks of conflicts over water on the Tigris and the Euphrates River, shared by Turkey and Syria and Iraq. Uh, So I would say no region is, is immune from these kinds of conflicts, and we had better learn how to reduce those risks. What can be done to reduce those risks? Well, in the past, much of the attention has been focused on conflicts from between one nation and another. Uh, And so there are a number of mechanisms to reduce interstate conflicts. There are treaties that countries sign that allocate water from one country to another. Uh, There are international mechanisms and the tools of diplomacy that can reduce these conflicts. Uh, And they've been pretty successful. We see more cooperation than conflict over water at the state-to-state level, at the country-to-country level. But I'm increasingly concerned about subnational conflicts over water. And I would argue that the mechanisms we have are not quite as good for reducing those conflicts. What are those mechanisms? Well, obviously, politics and negotiation and diplomacy is the key mechanism. 
but we also have to think about laws and regulations to allocate water from one group to another so that it's clear who has water rights. Uh, we could look at market mechanisms in economics uh, to allocate water from one user to another. So technical solutions, there are political solutions, there are diplomatic solutions, there are economic solutions. I think we have to look pretty broadly to figure out how to solve these problems. Now, access to water is considered for many to be an absolute right. Uh, such water is actually priced very little. But you argued that part of managing this resource properly is to actually adequately price it. So how can policymakers do that successfully without, A, angering their population, but especially without hurting the poor? This is one of the great conflicts and uncertainties around water. Water is absolutely a human right. The United Nations declared a formal human right to water in 2010. Uh, but water is also an economic good. It's, it's a resource that is priced uh, in order to allocate it properly, in order to support the ability to raise money to build infrastructure and to maintain that infrastructure. One might argue that water could be free, but the services of providing safe water and sanitation ought to be properly priced. There's a saying that water is a gift of God, but, but who builds the pipes? So balancing the human right to water and the economic aspects of water is a key challenge. And I think we can do it, but one of the most important challenges is making sure that the poorest populations have access to water and affordable water, no matter whether or not they can afford it. Uh, we do this for energy. We do this for other resources. It might require subsidies for the poorest populations uh, and charging extra to very large users of water in order to encourage efficiency and conservation. But I think it's possible to balance the human right and the economic goods around water. Earlier, you talked a little bit about the market. In actual fact, when it comes to proper pricing and sort of adequate delivery of a good, most economists would just recommend it to just leave it to the market. Could that be an adequate answer for water resources? Water is a good example where purely economic approaches and purely market approaches are not enough. There is no real market for water. You can't move water very far. It's not as easy as saying, well, if we just priced water properly, then the water-rich areas would sell water to the water-poor areas. It doesn't work that way. I do think there are economic tools, pricing tools, subsidies, simple local markets that may be very effective at helping reduce pressure on water resources, that help allocate water from inefficient users to efficient users. But we do have to remember that there is no free market in the, in the world of water. Now, when we take into account all the threats to water, whether they're climate change, limited resources, growing demand, etc., what could we do to ease the situation? What would be the three top recommendations that you have for policymakers and people that take care of water management resources? I think we have to move from the 20th century idea that all we had to do was find new supply, build another dam, drill another groundwater well, move water from the farther river to, a, to a, a place of scarcity and demand, to a concept of what I call the soft path for water. And the key principles are we have to rethink supply. That is, think about treated wastewater as an asset. Think about rainwater harvesting. Think about groundwater recharge and reuse as a new source of supply, rather than taking more and more water from overstressed ecosystems in rivers and lakes. The second aspect is rethink demand. We can do a lot of what we already do with water, with less water. We can grow more food with less water. That's the issue of water efficiency and productivity. The third thing is rethink economics. I think smart economics can play an important role 
in solving many of our water problems. But we have to both price water properly and we have to protect the poorest populations. And then finally, I, I would add a fourth issue, and that is smart institutions. We have to have institutions that think about watersheds as a whole, that think about integrating energy and food and climate change and water resources all together, instead of thinking about those issues separately. And that, that may require smarter institutions today. This was Peter Gleick, president of the Pacific Institute on how to protect the world's water resources. And to hear more, log on to www.soundcloud.com slash imf-podcast.